All right, well, with that out of the way, let's grab our Bibles and let's go to Acts chapter 5 together. Acts chapter 5. We're continuing the series today with an incredible story, uh, one of my favorites out of the entire book, Acts chapter 5. Well, this past week, I came across a very interesting news story about a man in Kentucky who was fired from his job after stopping at the scene of a car accident. This guy was on his way to work one morning, and he witnessed a semi-truck run a red light and T-bone a car passing through the intersection. And so he stopped, got out of his car, ran to the victim, and he called 911, and then he waited there until paramedics arrived. Well, because he stopped, he was about 10 minutes late to work. And so he got there, pulled aside his supervisor, explained what happened, and his supervisor's response was, well, what does that have to do with you? He got home later that afternoon, received a call, and whoever was on the other end of the line informed him that he no longer had a job. Now, I think you'd agree, regardless of who you are in the room today, there's something not right about that. It's never right to punish a person for doing the right thing. Yet, yet, in our passage for today, that's exactly what we see. People are punished for doing the right thing, all right? We're going to work through our time together to really unpack that truth. Uh, But before we dive in, I'll just give you a heads up. The story we're working through today, uh, it's a long one. And so we're going to read quite a bit of scripture. So I would encourage you, keep your Bibles handy. And if you didn't bring a Bible, we'll put all this on the screen so that you can follow along there, all right? So let's dive in. Acts 5, starting in verse 17. It says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with, what's the word? Jealousy. Jealousy. Filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So here come the religious leaders of this day. The high priest rises up, and, and he's got the Sadducees with him, who were basically the liberals or progressives back then. And we just read, they're filled with jealousy, and in their jealousy, they arrest the apostles, and they throw them into prison because the apostles were busy doing the right thing. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you heard in my message uh, a description of exactly what the apostles were doing. If you weren't here, like maybe this is your first time at Crosspoint or first time in a long time, you can find that message on our website or on our Crosspoint app, so go check it out. But but here's what we learn. In verses 12 through 16, the verses preceding our passage today, um, there were sick people, demon-possessed people, people far from God who had been kept outside the religious system by the priests. These were people being loved, healed, delivered, and saved by the apostles in this first century church. And the religious leaders wanted it to stop, which is crazy to me. I mean, less sick people and less less demon-possessed people sounds awesome to this guy, right? More people loving Jesus and coming to faith in Jesus sounds awesome to me, but the religious leaders didn't think it was awesome because, look, because they weren't in control. And they were receiving no praise and no commendation for what was happening. And in that, we see the big difference between Jesus and religion. Jesus is about loving people, healing people, delivering people, and saving people. Religion is about maintaining control and obtaining praise and admiration. And we see that reality clearly in the high priest here in these verses. I mean, think about this. Here's a guy who's prepared his entire life for the role he now finds himself in. He's supposed to be the guy large in charge. Everybody's supposed to look to him as their leader. They're supposed to be celebrating him as their leader. 
Yet, God bypasses him and he pours out his anointing on a fisherman named Peter. It's almost comical, isn't it? God bypasses the guy everyone expects him to use and he picks the guy no one expects him to use. Which is a great reminder that our God can use whomever he wants, for whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And because we have a God who likes getting glory... Oftentimes, he'll choose those ordinary, common, uneducated people to use for extraordinary purposes. Now, keep reading with me. Verse 19. says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So we see God here reminding the religious people who love to be in control... That in fact he's the one in control. And he does it through sending an angel to perform a supernatural prison break. Right? This angel shows up, frees the apostles, and then gives them instruction. He says, I want you to go to the temple and I want you to speak to people all the words of this life. So the instruction was simple. Go talk about Jesus. Keep telling outsiders that the God of the universe has made a way for them to become insiders through his son, Jesus Christ. Now think about that with me. In Acts chapter 4, we see the apostles in the temple preaching Jesus. And what happens if you know the story? They're arrested, right? And so they're released Uh, a short time later. They go back to the temple, and in Acts 5, they preach Jesus, and they're arrested again. And now this angel breaks them out of prison, and he says what? Go back to the temple and keep preaching Jesus. Now, these guys were either really brave or really dumb because what do they do? Well, they go back to the temple and they keep preaching Jesus. Look at what happens next. Verse 21. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the synod of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words. They were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, these men that you put in prison, they're standing in the temple teaching the people again. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So so here we have the religious leaders, you know, they're kind of high and mighty on their religious thrones. They're ready to really lay it on the apostles. And so they tell these officers, go to prison and and bring these guys out. Bring them to us, all right? So these officers go, and the bad news is when they get there, no prisoners. Now, can you imagine being one of those guys and having to bring back that report? High and mighty religious leaders of our day, we have good news and we have really bad news. Uh, The good news is the locks on the prison doors work. They were really secure when we got there. Those guards you hired, very guardly. They were doing a great job, right, standing where they needed to. No one was taking a nap. The bad news is when the guards moved and we opened the prison doors, there were no prisoners inside. Now, I love verse 24. I love the language it uses. It says these religious leaders were greatly perplexed, greatly perplexed. So you're telling us that the doors were locked. Yes. Uh, the guards were standing guard. Yes. But there were no prisoners. Exactly. Wow, we are perplexed, right? Like, what does this mean? What what is this going to come to? And in the middle of them trying to figure it out, someone shows up and he says, guys, hey, uh, have an update. The men you threw in prison, guess where they are? 
they're back in the temple and they're preaching Jesus again. And so in verse 26, we see the captain of the temple, that was basically temple security back in this day, along with the officers, they go, and, and not by force, because they were afraid of being stoned by the people, uh, they do it gently, they bring these guys back in. Now because we're in Cartersville, and our church is made up of a whole lot of people who didn't grow up in church, you need to know that that word stone there is different than the, the, the stone you might be familiar with, Okay. <laughs> Being stoned back in this day was actually legal. It meant that someone was picking up large stones and crushing someone else to death for a certain type of offense, all right? And so these religious leaders, they know, look, they know. These Christians and these apostles, they're popular. The people on the outside really like them because they actually love, serve, and help people. And so if we're not really careful in how we do this, all those people that they've loved, helped, and served, they might want to kill us. And so again, very cautiously and very carefully, they bring the apostles back in. And look at verse 27. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we, we charge you, strictly charge you, not to teach in this name Yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. All right, so now we come to the real issue. Now we come to the real issue. And what's the issue? The apostles were teaching in the name. And what name were they teaching in? The name of Jesus, right? There's the issue. This entire fight was over the name of Jesus. If the apostles would have just loved people and helped people and healed people and served people, there would have been no issues, but because they did it all in the name of Jesus, there was an issue. And friends, hear me, the same is still true in our world today. And if you want proof, just go experiment. All right, go out there and love people, serve people, help people. Don't do it in anyone's name, and people will think you're great. They'll praise you, they'll celebrate you, they'll talk to their friends about you. But as soon as you bring Jesus' name into it, things get complicated. And why? Why does Jesus' name complicate things? Look up here. It's simple. Because his is the name above every other name. At the name of Jesus, knees bow. At the name of Jesus, tongues confess. You see, Jesus' name demands honor, humility, uh, worship, devotion, submission, surrender from every living being in creation. And the problem is, not every living being in creation wants to give Jesus what he deserves. And that's what we see here in the passage. The high priest says to the apostles, we told you to quit teaching in his name, but you're still teaching in the name. And you're trying to bring his blood upon us. So at the end of the day, this is really all about us. And I want you to look at the response. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I love this scene. Here's Peter standing face to face, along with the other apostles, with his high priest who's telling him, quit teaching in this name And I just imagine Peter going, all right, let me make sure I'm getting this. You don't want us to teach in his name. Exactly. Stop teaching in his name. Well, just so you know, we have to obey God rather than men. So since we're all here, I've written a sermon about Jesus. And then he proceeds to preach 
that sermon, he says to these leaders, you murdered God. You killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree. This is a reference to Deuteronomy 22, 23 that says, Cursed is the man who is hung on a tree. These religious leaders saw Jesus as a cursed criminal. They thought they were doing God a favor by killing Jesus. But Peter proceeds and he says, look, Jesus isn't the cursed man you thought he was. Because three days after you killed him, God raised him up from the dead. And he exalted him as leader and savior so that all of Israel could receive repentance and forgiveness of sins which you need. Man, you need to repent for what you've done. You need to ask the Jesus you killed to forgive you of your sins. And men, please know today that we're not just speaking as guys who came up with all this. We're witnesses to all these things. We've seen all that we're telling you about with our own eyes. And the Holy Spirit, the same is true about him who lives in us. Men who obey him. Now, I think you'll agree with this. That's a courageous response. Courageous response. Quit teaching in this name. Let me talk to you about the name. Courageous response. There's one reason these men had courage in this moment. Do, do you know the reason? They had the Holy Spirit. That's the reason. They didn't come up with that kind of courage on their own. The Holy Spirit of God who lived inside their bodies gave it to them. And if you want proof, just read about these guys before the Holy Spirit showed up. They were cowards. Peter denied Jesus three times at his crucifixion. After Jesus was led away um, following his arrest, these guys went into hiding because they feared being killed just like him. Yet here they are after the Holy Spirit shows up standing face to face with the very men who've arrested them time and time again for preaching the name of Jesus. And what do they do? They preach Jesus. Now let me show you what happens next. Verse 33 says, when they heard this, these are the religious leaders, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So we go from simple opposition, simple threats to now we're angry and we want to murder these guys just like we murdered Jesus. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, he stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so these guys, again, the picture is they're angry, they want to kill the apostles, and one level-headed guy stands up and goes, guys, let's think about it. Let's think about it. He, he was a Pharisee, by the way. If the Sadducees were the liberals and progressives back then, the Pharisees would have been the conservatives of this day. And Gamaliel, the guy that we see here, this Pharisee that spoke up, he is truly one of the most honored and admired Pharisees in the history of the world. Before the apostle Paul became a Christian, he was a Pharisee. He studied under Gamaliel. And so these people honored him. They respected him. And so this is a guy, when he stood up and spoke, they would have listened. So he said, guys, again, let's think about this. And let's be really, really careful concerning what we do with these men. And then he offers two case studies to make his point. 
He says, you remember Thutis, that guy who thought he was a somebody? He had a pretty decent following, but it turns out he was a nobody because after he was killed, all of his followers dispersed. He says, the same was true with Judas the Galilean. He says, in light of that, here's my suggestion. Let's leave these guys alone. Don't bother them. Just leave them alone. If what they're doing, if, if it's of man, if God's not truly in it, it'll fail and it'll fall apart without us having to do anything. But then he says, and this is so key, if God's in it, we won't be able to stop it. Now look up here. This is one of the reasons we can trust that the church, the big C church, is of God. Here we are 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Christianity is the biggest thing in the history of the world. When the church slows down in one part of the world, God simply moves in another part of the world, and the church starts thriving and exploding there. Which is why, which is why, friends, you need to possess a global theology over an American theology. Like, it always frustrates me, and I kind of laugh at it when American Christians say stuff like, you know, the world's getting so bad, Jesus must be coming back soon. It's Trump versus Hillary. I'm just going to sit here and stare at the sky and wait on Jesus. Right? <laughs> Listen, I don't think people would say that if they lived in certain places in Africa and South America where the church right now is exploding and the gospel is transforming entire communities. Nor do I think people would say it if they knew right now in 2016 there are over 6,700 unreached people groups in our world comprising over 3. billion people. Hear me, church. I hope this breaks your heart like it breaks mine. That right now, in our day, there are over 3 billion people on earth who have no access to the gospel. In Revelation 7, 9, we're taught that in heaven... Around the throne of Jesus in eternity, people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will be worshiping him as God's Savior, Lord, and King. So guess what that means? Until those unreached people are reached, Jesus isn't going anywhere. If we want Jesus to come back soon, we better take seriously our calling to go into all the world and to get the gospel to people who've never heard it. And as we go, look, herein lies our confidence. We will take ground from the enemy. Why? Because the church is of God. It belongs to him. He's in it. And it will not be stopped. That was Gamaliel's point. This is his point. Gamaliel again, he says, guys, we're wasting our time if we try to stop this thing. And it's truly of God. And so look at the response. Verse 39. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. If there is a, a verse out of this entire passage you need to hold on to, hold on to that. We're going to come back to it. They counted themselves worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So what we see here is uh, the, the religious leaders go from opposing, threatening, and arresting to beating. We're going to make these guys understand how serious we are about them not teaching in this name any longer. And so they beat them. In some of your Bibles, the word scourged is used there, which is what Jesus experienced at his crucifixion. Uh, we know from the Bible that before Jesus was put on the cross, that he was brought into a Roman praetorium, stripped of his clothes, 
and his hands would have been tied to a wooden post above his head or to a concrete or wooden pillar out in front of him. And he would have then been beaten with uh, an instrument, a a whip-like instrument comprised of several straps of leather, and each strap of leather would have been sharpened pieces of rock and bone. And he would have been beaten mercilessly with this instrument. Now, according to Jewish law, the the, uh, maximum number of lashes a prisoner could receive was 40. But because a lot of prisoners died who received that many, the Jews thought, we'll play it safe and we'll only give out 39, right? Thank you. How gracious and kind of you. Now, the thing to keep in mind is Jesus wasn't scourged by the Jews. He was scourged by the Romans. They didn't care about Jewish law. They didn't hold the Jewish law. So we have no idea how many lashes Jesus actually received. What we do know is that by the time it was over, his body would have been shredded. Pieces of of ribbon, ribbons of flesh would have been hanging from his body. Criminals beaten like him would have had muscle and even bone exposed. And here in Acts 5, we see that the apostles suffer a similar beating. And how do they respond? With rejoicing. With rejoicing. They leave their beating, bloodied, bruised. Their bodies are shredded. They look like they just walked out of a horror film. They're missing teeth. They need stitches. And they go and throw a party. And why? Because they were counted worthy. To suffer dishonor for the name. Now, what in the world do we learn from that? Like some of you might be sitting there going, well, James, that's a long time ago. What does that story have to do with me? Well, let me give you a few takeaways on how we can apply this to our lives, and then we'll be done. All right? The first is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, what do we learn? Jesus took a beating for you. Sometimes you'll need to take a beating for him. This may surprise some of us, by the way. Because some of us who are here, all we've ever heard is uh, God loves us and he wants to bless us. Which is true. I don't want to just, I don't want to communicate somehow that's not true. He does. He loves you and he, he wants to bless you. But you've never been told that not everybody in the world loves you and some people want to treat you like Jesus was treated. Which means that at times you might need to take some beatings for him. In certain parts of the world those beatings still come in physical form. In fact, last year, the year 2015, believe it or not. It was the bloodiest year in the history of the church. Over 7,000 of our brothers and sisters in Christ lost their lives last year for their faith in Jesus. We need to pray for them. There are brothers and sisters in Christ in our world today, right now, who are suffering in ways that we cannot comprehend. And we need to pray for their strength. Here where we live, our beatings They're typically not physical in nature. They're more social or uh, emotional in nature, right? You know, your reputation takes a beating. Uh, Your social life takes a beating. People attack you on social media. Some of you might even lose a job for your faith in Christ. It's not easy and it's not fun, but it's part of it. Like the Bible is very clear. The goal of the Christian life is not to avoid suffering, but to be like Jesus. So let me just ask, you want to be like Jesus? You want to be like Jesus? You want to help people who don't know Jesus to know the Jesus you know? Then listen, you're going to need to take some beatings along the way. And when those beatings come, here's what I'd encourage you to remember. Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, that you are blessed when you're beaten for his sake. Now that's weird, isn't it? Like who in the room would ever equate a beating with a blessing? Probably none of us. But Jesus says, no, listen, if you're persecuted for my sake... 
If you suffer for the sake of righteousness, not only does the kingdom of heaven belong to you, but one day when you get there, your reward will be great. So rejoice and be glad. Here's the application. When beatings come your way, don't focus so much on the pain of here and now. That's the natural tendency. Life gets hard, we suffer, and we wallow in self-pity, and we can't pick ourselves up and keep going forward because we get stuck, right? Don't focus so much on the pain of here and now. Focus on the gain of there and then, and always remember that the Lord who was beaten for you promises to bless you in his eternal kingdom. That's number one. Jesus took a beating for you. Sometimes you'll need to take a beating for him. Number two is this. Your response to beatings declares the worth of the one you're beaten for. Your response to beatings declares the worth of the one you're beaten for. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we had a scare with my youngest daughter, Selah. She's 19 months old. Uh, my wife called me. It was a Wednesday morning. And out of nowhere, her fever spiked up really high. She got super lethargic. We couldn't keep her awake. And she started breathing strangely. And so my wife, she uh, called our pediatrician, and our pediatrician said, call an ambulance. Not the response we wanted to hear, uh, but we called an ambulance. They came, and we ended up spending the rest of that day in the pediatric ER down at Kennestone Hospital. Uh, praise God, everything was fine. There's was nothing serious, and she was back to herself in no time. But shortly after that, I, I made this comment to a friend. And if you're a parent in the room who's ever had a scare like that, I'm sure you've made a similar comment. I said to my friend, I wish it could have been me. Like, I wish I could have chosen to be sick in her place. If I could have suffered to alleviate or eliminate her suffering, I would have gladly suffered for her. Now, my comment got me thinking, isn't it interesting how willing we are as people to suffer for our kids, to suffer for our spouses, to suffer for certain friends in our lives. Not all of our friends, but certain friends, right? The ones we really like. We're so willing to suffer for other people. But some of us, when it comes to Jesus, we're not so willing to suffer. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Your willingness to suffer for Jesus declares the worth you place on Jesus. Your willingness to suffer for Jesus declares the worth you place on Jesus. Why was I so quick to, to suffer for my daughter? Because I think she's worth it. The question is, do we think Jesus is worth it? The apostles sure thought so. Again, they walked away from their beating, rejoicing, smiles on their faces. They saw the beating they took not as a burden, but a blessing. Not as something they had to do, but as something they got to do. And my question for us today is, do we see suffering in the same way? Like if you take a beating for Christ, is your response, yes. Yes, I can't believe that I've been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Here's why I asked the question. Because until you get there, the world out there will never see the worth of the one you're taking a beating for. This is important, my friends. How in the world do you get there? Well, you don't work hard to get there. Like you don't walk out of here and go, you know, I'm just, next time I take a beating, I'm just going to rejoice. It's not how it happens. You want to get to that place? Here's what you do. You ask God to get you there. You want to get there? You ask God to get you there. God, the Holy Spirit, would you do a work in me, and would you change my perspective on suffering? Holy Spirit, would you do a work in me, and would you give me a joy in Christ that is so deep that any time I take a beating for him, my natural response is to rejoice that I've been counted worthy to suffer this honor for the name. Your response says something 
about the worth you place on him. And then number three, finally, when you take a beating, keep talking about Jesus. When you take a beating, keep talking about Jesus. Do not allow your suffering to silence you, my friends. I love it. We see this reality in the lives of the apostles, right? We read it in verse 42 a moment ago that every day, they didn't miss a day, they walk away from the beating, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Right? I just picture that in my mind, that these guys, you know, they show up in the temple shortly after they were beaten. And again, here they are, bloodied and bruised. They're a mess. And they walk in and say to the people there, oh, guys, so sorry we're late. You know, it's kind of been a crazy morning. But, uh, man, look, let's just go ahead and sit back down. We need to keep talking about Jesus. That's the example we have to follow. When you take a beating, you keep talking about him. You keep telling people that he's alive, that life and freedom is found in him, that sin and shame are undone in him, that the hope not only for this life but in eternity is found in him and in him alone. You see, at the end of the day, that is ultimately what our church as a mission is about. Our mission as a church is about. We can love people and serve people and help people all day long, but if we never mention the name of Jesus, we have failed, my friends. The mission is about naming Jesus where Jesus needs to be named so that people far from God can come to faith in him. In closing, uh, this past week, I spent some time on a website called persecution.com. If you've never spent time on it, you need to. Uh, It's a website that contains real-life stories of our brothers and sisters around the world who are right now suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I I visited it uh, right on the home page. I saw a story titled Joy in Prison. And so I clicked on it, and I read about this woman in China named Chang Ji who was arrested a couple of years ago for running what the government agency called illegal business operations. She was the director of a kindergarten, and she used religious curriculum when it came to teaching the students. So they arrested her. And for two years, this young wife and this young mother was crammed into a 15-foot by 15-foot cell with 15 other women and forced to work 12-hour days with very little food. Now, here's what caught my attention, and I'll just read it to you so I don't mess it up. The story said this. Changji realized she had a unique opportunity to minister to the other women, and she began to love them. The guards refused to allow her husband to give her a Bible, but God provided his word another way. Another prisoner had one, and she traded it to Changji for some other items. Despite the long work hours, Chang read the Bible faithfully every night and found encouragement in God's word. She also taught her cellmates songs, hymns, and Bible stories. Her faith and trustworthiness made her stand out to prison authorities. God is great, she said. How many of us in that situation would be saying that? I mean, I know I'm in prison and this really stinks, but man, God is so good. God is so great, she continues. It makes me think of Joseph in the Old Testament. After six months, the prison guards let me manage all the cells. After being released in February of this year, 2016, she said, even though I was in prison, I felt happy because I have joy from God. That's what it sounds like to count yourself worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It's not, well, I've taken a beating and now I'm going to whine and complain and, and feel sorry for myself. No, it's I've taken a beating and now I will rejoice in the one who took a beating for me. And I will see my beating as an opportunity to make known the Jesus who saves sinners 
I'll use it as as an opportunity to make him known to people who desperately need to know him. I want us to pray right now and ask God to help us be those people. Just all over the room, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. As we're settling into this moment, and I, I just feel the Lord impressing upon me that I need to give some of you a chance to put your faith in Jesus. You walked in today and, and you don't know him. And you need to know him. And this may seem like a really weird message to invite you to do that after. James, you're telling me that if I sign up to follow Jesus, I might suffer for it? Yep, that's exactly what I'm telling you. But I'm also telling you that Jesus Christ took a beating for you so that in eternity you would suffer no more. Yeah, you might have to suffer for a little while while you're here, but it is worth it because what waits on you can't be compared with the suffering you might experience. In addition, Jesus promises right now in this life to give you freedom from those things you need freedom from, to give you joy, to give you peace, to give you a brand new life, a life you cannot give yourself. And so if you're that person who knows right now in this moment, I need Jesus, why don't you just say something to God in prayer like this? Say, God, I need you. I confess today that I am a sinful person in need of a Savior. And I believe Jesus is the Savior I need. I believe he took a beating at the cross for me. That he died in my place for my sins so that I could be loved and forgiven by you. God, I also believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days later to defeat sin, death, and hell on my behalf. And so today I say yes to him as Savior and Lord. God, would you forgive me? Would you save me? Would you put your spirit inside of me and make me into the person you've created me to be? Listen, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that with me or something like it, I want to ask you to do me a simple favor. Would you just acknowledge right now in this moment that you made that decision by just lifting a hand? James, that's me. Man, I put my faith in Jesus. we got hands going up already. If you're watching at 5 o'clock, same thing. Just throw your hand up. Our prayer team is going to come to you. Just throw your hand up. Leave it up. They're going to come and put a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive it, you can put your hand back down. Anybody else, James, that's me. That's me. Put my faith in Jesus today. Praise God. Man, for those of you that just responded, let me welcome you to the family. Greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Right now, you can trust and know that you are a loved son or a loved daughter of God in his family, and nothing will ever change that. God, in the next few moments, would you move in power in this place? God, those of us that need courage, would you give us courage? Those of us who... who, I just need you to work in our lives in ways that only you can so that we can see the worth of Jesus. God, would you do that for us today? God, we love you, and we give you this time to do in our lives whatever it is you want to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.